Hello, I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Welcome to this week's Companies and Markets podcast. I'm joined today by uh, Mark Robinson. How are you doing, Mark? I'm okay, John. Good. Uh, Ian Smith, how are you doing, Ian? Fine, thanks, John. You've been looking after the news this week. I sure First have. time? Yes. Yeah, excellent. How'd it go? Yeah, I think it went fine. You sell me? Yeah, it was all right. Okay. And uh, over in the control room, multitasking, Julia Bradshaw. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. Good. And you're going to be talking to us later about your cover feature this week, which I is... Am. Uh, supermarkets. Indeed. And uh, whether it's time to buy again. But uh, let's come on to that in a minute. But the real big story this week is oil and uh, and BG and uh, its bid by Shell. We're awash with oil. Uh, that that has been the problem, uh, obviously, recently. But uh, mm. let's uh, let's kick off, Ian, with, with your first roundup of the investment world at large. Seven days. What's been going on this week? I mean, a couple of positive trends, really, this week. I mean, European M&A activity has really been leading it. You mentioned the Shell uh, BG deal. Uh, we also had uh, the FedEx deal for TNT. You'd forgotten about that. Yeah, forgotten about that. <laughs> Somewhat overshadowed. But yeah, a tale of two deals, I think, is how I characterise uh, kind of the company's news this week. And I think that it kind of that feeds into a wider theme around really just a positive Europe story. We had uh, Mark here wrote a news piece about how Europeans' main benchmark indices um, had done really well in the first quarter um, and I think this kind of positive European story, US companies looking to buy into Europe has really been one of the uh, dominating stories this week. We've also had um, some positive economic forecast data from um, Italy upgrading its economic forecast so you know kind of more of a positive Eurozone story there. Um, Greece made the nut with the IMF as well. Exactly Greece we've just found out that that payment has been has been made of 450 million euros, that loan repayment, which uh, there were some kind of question marks over. That has been paid. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of good news, I'd say. Mm, excellent. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Europe, how much of that is, is QE driving uh, share prices upwards? I mean, the DAX has, has been flying. Yeah, well, more to the point, what, what it's done to the euro prospects for European exporters like Germany. Driving down the price of, of the euro the, the, vis-a-vis other currencies well, that's I mean, right. has, has really uh, lifted the prospects for, for European exporters. Yeah, certainly, without a doubt. I mean, and, and conversely, it, it's worked against uh, prospects for emerging market economies as well. Uh, the same thing, much the same thing happened uh, when we had QE in the US, we following the same sort of experience there. How long the ECB, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a trillion euro expansion of uh, the balance sheet in Europe, but how long the ECB is going to keep this going is, is anyone's guess. I mean, they may be slightly um, less inclined to sort of uh, nip it in the bud now that Germany and other economies in Europe seem to be doing quite well on mm. the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on in. No, I was just going to say, and just to feed into that as well, in Italy, um, kind of the the slump in the oil price has kept energy costs low for companies, which uh, they think is a good driver of kind of um, perhaps Italy to emerge from recession. Well, you talked about, you talked about this a while back. The, the actual the the economic benefits of a low oil price. And, yeah, and there, uh, there was some scepticism that this would actually happen. But well, it, it takes some time as well. You don't get the benefits uh, flowing through immediately. But now we're six, well seven eight months into sort of a relatively low oil price period. So we should start to see some material benefits coming through to these economies. I also note on the numbers this week, which uh, I don't know who put that together. Who put that together? Did you put that together? I put that together. Put Ian that put that together. I, I like this. Uh, yeah, uh, European real estate seems to be uh, on the up. Well, commercial real estate. It's a surprisingly big figure there, that isn't is it? That is a huge 7.8% really. price growth from the third quarter to the fourth quarter last year in European commercial real well, estate. One, one can only assume that that's a knock-on effect of, of improved business confidence there. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of what's feeding into the figure there. But well, yeah, it's just... coming from a fairly low base as well. Don't forget, for most of those markets, I, th- I yeah, think growth is growth. Growth you know, is if growth. If you're buying it now, then you know you're. Yeah, we're beginning of potentially a huge uptrend, I guess. I think in the early part of next month we'll be covering this in a feature as well, giving readers uh, the rundown on which European property markets uh, offer the best prospects at the I moment. Think we're talking residential there, aren't we? We're talking residential in that case, yeah. Okay, time to buy a Spanish villa again. Well, <laughs> well, we'll have to wait for Jonas uh, Crossland on that on that point. Okay. Yeah. So, so the other, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about oil in, in more detail um, in relation to the the BG uh, Shell deal in a minute. But um, Ian, it's a subject that I know is dear to your heart, Iran, and and things there, which are obviously massively important in in terms of global geopolitics and and actual oil too. Um, the the political situation there is thawing from the looks of things. It seems to be. It's, it's hard to tell with these things because obviously on both, in both the US and in Iran, the people that have struck the deal have now got to go and sell the deal to their respective hardliners. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it seems to be another positive um, factor for the global economy that there's been this kind of tentative accord reached. Um, obviously, Israel as a key ally of the US in the region is kind of steadfast against the deal in its current form. Um, so there yet, may yet be some more politicking around it. Um, and, you know, the, the sanctions won't be lifted tomorrow, but it is, it's potentially positive. And I think initially had an upward um, impact on oil stocks. So they might, might be able to say more about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there was uh, the oil price dipped towards the end of last week uh, on good news with regard to the accord. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, this deal, even if it is brokered, may take 12 months or more to actually come to fruition. So uh, traders traders were more influenced, actually, by news coming out of the US that um, the production there had dipped for the first time mm. in, uh, in, in living memory, really, uh, in March. Uh, and uh, there's a theory out now that uh, the unconventional sources in, in America uh, may well have peaked which will, over time, um, rebalance the oil market. And so oil, oil prices rose on the back of that. Yeah, because we talked about this. So, the, I mean, shale oil has been obviously the big destabilizing factor in, in terms of the oil price decline yeah. uh, over the past few months. And, and, and the, the, the period of low oil prices now has forced a, a sort of a lower margin uh, plays out of the US. The levels now are approaching the, the, the 1970s peaks for the United States. So I mean, it's still incredible the, the amount of oil that's been produced over the last three or four years. And there, were, and there was also um, worries uh, linked to stockpiles in the States. Part of that was due to an increased uh, rate of import from outside the US as well. The net, re- net result, though, is that uh, oil prices uh, started to recover somewhat. And, uh, you know, the question now is, has the U.S. reached an inflection point in production? Okay, but you told me also that uh, a number of uh, hedge funds are betting on a rising oil price now. Yeah, they are. They are looking ahead. I mean, not sort of massively rising, but everyone's looking at about $65 a barrel in terms of Brent crude. Um, but the point uh, is we don't feel it's likely that there will be significant weakness in the months ahead. No, not compared to what we have seen, no. Okay, well, that's... Despite that's... the discovery of a load be- below Sussex. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I mean, the UK could throw a spanner in the works there. I mean, that was, that was a, that's an announcement that just came out today. Various companies have interest in this, uh, this complex down in, in the wheel. Sort of it's covers. huge. It is huge at the moment. I mean, the numbers they're giving, that 158 million barrels of oil per square mile on, on the licence, which covered 55 uh, square miles, that equates to something just under 9 billion barrels of oil. It's enormous. But, I mean, of course, 
what percentage of that is recoverable is uh, is unknowable at this stage. Um, and it will be down to unconventional uh, drilling, fracturing. Uh, you know, the, but the, the company itself, UK Oil and Gas Investments, they're up by over 200% at one point today. What was the price at the start of the day? Oh, I can't remember the Pennies. price. Was it? Yeah, well, it was. It was, um, you know... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't want any sort of letters in from readers saying, "Why didn't you identify this?" But you know, this I'm is... sure they will. Have, I'm sure they will arrive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting story, but we we don't know if this will have any legs for for months yet. They have to have an appraisal, and uh, it, it's a great little story. But I mean, what, what it means over the long long term, we, we can't really sort of comment on that yet. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, the big oil story, though, of course, this week is BG. Yes. So let's talk BG. Let's talk BG anyway. The one thing that's come out, I've read a number of notes that have come out this morning and people are actually saying, oh God, they've paid well over the odds for BG assets and in the same time we've got notes saying, oh, this is a bargain. Yeah. A bargain. It, just, yeah. it just shows you how um, ludicrous so, the so, so let's talk about the detail. So Shell is buying uh, BG. A BG, outright, and it's a agreed deal. An agreed deal recommended by BG's board for a, a total of around about uh, forty-seven billion pounds. Then I saw another figure saying fifty-five billion, but God knows what that is. Oh, Maybe no, includes the dividend. Who knows? Perhaps um, it, it values a uh, it values BG at thirteen fifty a share. Nice. It's, it's sort of cash share deals. I think uh, off the top of my head, I think it was about three hundred fifty-three pence, and then the rest in script. Um, something, something of a surprise at, at the time, uh, I guess. I mean, BG. Well, we, we tipped this, didn't we? We, 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 we had BG three weeks ago. Yeah, I know we had BG, but I, I've had, you, I, you're feeling very smug, state are you, Robert? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, it's purely coincidental because I mean, I have to, I have to. I mean, I've been dealing with a dross over the last six months in the oil market, so I mean, it was a welcome relief, to be honest. But it's an interesting deal, if for no other reason than, you know, is this the initiation point for some other large-scale de- deals in the industry? Uh, I guess the the main reason, or the, there's many reasons why uh, Shell have brought BG in the books, but the main one, main one as far as I can tell, is uh, that it takes them to the, the front-running position in the, the global LNG, LNG market. Yeah. They were very strong in that anyway, but uh, obviously... Um, uh, BG was a particularly, uh, particularly attractive part of their business. So, the, so there was a particular asset that, that comes with this deal, which is the the uh, the, the big LNG uh, well, the facility that they've just built in. Yeah, in just que- in commissioned, Queensland. in fact, in, in Queensland. Well, no, it's it's up and running now. It's up and running. So, yeah, they've yeah they they they've the first sort of uh, um, sea born exports uh, at the tail end of last year and I think they've had a second load going out It's a $20 billion facility that oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's enormous, it's absolutely enormous and you know, given its proximity to um, Asian markets as well I mean it's very attractive uh, Shell have actually got um, uh, assets in, in Queensland and the Bowen Basin as well, slightly different ones but um, you know, there, there's obviously tremendous cost synergies in prospect Because uh, yeah, I think you said to me yesterday that a lot of their, their, their assets sit next to one another yeah, yeah. Um, you know, th- throughout the globe, I mean, it's hardly surprising. Shell's everywhere, but but you know, it, th- th- there are a number. Some 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 mega deals you get like this, and you th- and you think to yourself, given history, you think, oh my god, it's going to be a disaster. It destroy. <laughs> they tend to destroy value. Yes, absolutely. But looking at this. Um, Looking at this, at least initially, you, you would think that this makes a lot of strategic sense. Um, it looks like a good one to me. Yeah. Does it? I mean, as I, as I say, you know, uh, interest of full disclosure, um, my wife owns a number of shares in BG that she inherited um, as a, actually a result of the spin-outs from British Gas from yeah. privatisation many, many, many years ago. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we so we stand to get a bit of cash back from that and we stand to get... Uh, 
some shares in Shell. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, great. Those shares in Shell are wonderful. Dividend paying shares. And let's talk about the dividend because, you know, does this impinge upon their ability to keep paying that at the level it's at now? Well, where they've, they, okay, they, they, they've got a deal here which is an effective 50% premium uh, to uh, the current share price at the moment. Yeah, well, uh, but, but, which is still below its peak. Yeah, well below, you below know, its price peak. Price a couple of years back. And uh, it's not a huge cash element there, but. Um, you know, uh, Shell's cover wasn't uh, wasn't great in terms of their dividend yield, but they've they've got a sort of an unparalleled record in, in sort of maintaining and then increasing their dividend. Uh, there's still a very good yield at the moment, but obviously the anxiety is, given all this, will be they able to sort of back their dividend over the next couple of years, given oil prices are fairly drab at the yep. moment. We tend to think that, but, but potentially going higher if the hedge potentially, is, hedge yeah, to I, th- I think it, I think it probably will go higher, and, and plus the fact that Shell are on the deal now, some of BG's underperforming assets in Egypt and Brazil. There's already been movement in Brazil because uh, what was happening down there with the uh, with the state probe into uh, Petrobras, Petrobras, yeah, uh, th- there was a chance that um, uh, BG's operations down there were to be slowed. You know, they were going. To ha- going to get trouble getting the infrastructure in place, uh, the floating platforms. But with uh, Shell behind them, apparently there's already been movement on that. So that's obviously a positive for them. Uh, they've started to get uh, the backdated uh, payments uh, through from Egypt, BG. They've started... Was this the stuff that was uh, the force majeure Yeah, that's uh, the, it, was, it was declared because, I mean, they, the Egyptian authorities just diverted gas supplies to the domestic market yep. rather than the export market just to make sure they didn't have a revolution, you know, keep the air conditioners running. I mean, our readers will remember you know, BG, it was a bit like rent-a-kill initial for years. It just couldn't do anything wrong whatsoever, yeah, you know, improvement yeah. year after year. And suddenly when they got problems, then, then there was just a, a storm of problems. Yeah, yeah well, companies don't exist problem-free forever. Yeah, but, well, so, No, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting. I think, you know, the combination, it could take take Shell to, to new heights. But are yeah, there any yeah, competition issues over the deal, particularly in the yeah, LNG well, market? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's definitely go through, go through the process. But well, it's going to take a year, isn't it? It's 2016. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hedge is going to stay on for a year and get a, a golden parachute. Was he brought in to make this happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is—he's <laughs> only been there five minutes. Well, exactly. I mean, presumably they just didn't uh, work out the deal on the back of an envelope over the weekend. Indeed. So, uh, having said that, I've read some reports. It didn't take many of them to agree this deal over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, and 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 there you go. I mean, I think oil companies are obviously looking at these sort of things all the time, doing the numbers all the time. So, you know, BG just seemed to be a good fit for Shell. All right. So let's let's talk about. So um, there has been a lot of talk that this marks. Uh, a point at which the industry consolidation in oil and gas begins in earnest. Because, I mean, you know, the reality is that these deals don't happen when an industry is strong because, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. assets aren't cheap. There's no value to be had. Yeah. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, who's next. And, and actually, if you look at the risers and fallers column this week on the Seven Days page, you know, Premier Oil, Soco, Hunting, mm. um, yeah, another tip this week. There's another tip this week. I mean, we, we've been... You've got put- which you got kind of... Well, yeah, it's unfortunate. Unfortunately, it, in between the time, the- in between the time I initiated the tip and to when it's going to go to publication, there was there was a significant rise in the yeah, share what price. A shame. But it still it still represents good value because it's, it's well, it's uh, it's a great company. It's yeah, a great company. Yeah. But the point is, is that you know the oil industry has been hammered. Yeah, but there are some wonderful companies out there. Yeah, without a doubt. And oil demand and gas demand and we talked about this recently gas demand in particular is not going away well the, again this is the, 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 the main thrust for the uh, the BG deal is because of their the gas assets and the fact that you know Shell wants to 
get at the apex of the which is of the market which provides the best long-term fundamentals in and, energy. And, and gas is becoming an increasingly important uh yeah. source of electricity generation power yeah. generation um, it seems little doubt by the end of this year that gas prices and gas pricing is a separate subject very complex but by the end of the almost year, impossible to understand almost to impossible to understand but by the end of this year it's likely that gas prices will sort of uh, well, not necessarily tank, but they will fall significantly because of new production coming onto the market. But long term, you've got to take a long term view, and in that case, uh, you know it, it's the it's the not the only game in town, but it, it's the one you want to be following. So, so I, mean, I mean, take Japan as an example. I mean, there was a very large nuclear uh, generating capacity there. Yeah, that's gone. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was a one. Obviously, the, the Fukushima was a, a one off uh, um, uh, issue in Japan, but it's changed the way they it's view changed energy, the way they view energy generation. I think they may have got one reactor back on now and uh, they will get others but, but it Ger- Germany Germany has basically pulled away from nuclear as well to- yes in, in, totally uh, and the, but the, you know one, one of the main points is that um, the demand is coming through Asia and uh, China is turning away from coal I mean obviously air problem is is, is turned into a sort of fundamental issue for the economy now not yep. just a one for the the populace itself so they're going to they're building more gas fired power stations the same in India I mean the same in this country as well and throughout Europe it, it, it's 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 going to be the sort of main generator of electricity for the next 30 40 yeah. years no it's amazing I've read a piece you wrote uh, one of the results you wrote this week as well Ithaca so I mean there's a lot of small there's some good assets out there but at the smaller end which has been kind of heavily sold off I mean, yeah the, the Amen, you know there were some good assets that have been sold off heavily there and Ithaca I thought I know it notably uh, cheap. Really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's been so depressing covering these companies in recent <laughs> months. It really has, but because you you've had companies there that that are actually well managed, great assets, but uh, you know, like any sort of commodity backed stocks. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, you're trying to analyze top up or top down and then bottom up. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's very difficult to do. But um, you know, Ithaca to me, you know, it would be a prime candidate for a mm. takeover there as well. But then, of course, on the same page, you've got Casa, which uh, yeah, uh, is not so good. Yeah, exactly. So I think you've got to still be selective. You know, the the, the oil recovery, if indeed there is one, is not going to lift all boats because it, I think and, guys... and people people are absolutely investors have just shunned the, the the North Sea over over the last six eight months anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. And actually, I mean, talking about demand demand for oil, I mean, uh, Ian, there's, there's a story in seven days uh, here. Car sales uh, in the UK have, have, have absolutely flying. Yeah, and, and also because people just like new number plates with a 15 <laughs> on them, which is really the key driver, um, pardon the pun. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, car sales continue to be really strong in the UK, which is providing great strength to some of the alternative lenders and we pull, uh, I oh, mentioned SNU, SNU, SNU here but yeah. we saw that in results season as uh, some of the uh, some of the lenders with exposure to the motor finance market really benefiting from that um, yeah just a just a strong story in it and it's taken as a real strong indicator of UK economic um, recovery yeah. in the car market yeah God, it's good news for the Tories going into the election isn't it yeah it's well timed very well timed indeed um Let's talk supermarkets, Julia. So supermarkets is the cover feature. It is, um, but but subsequent to rising that, obviously we had the latest Cantar. We basically. had the latest figures from Cantar. Yes, the um, grocery market share figures, which came out, uh, which are actually a continuation of the theme we've been seeing yep. over the past year, really. So what are we seeing? 
So who's doing well, who's not doing so well? So what we're seeing is the discounters, Aldi and Lidl, doing doing very well, increasing market share, increasing their sales by double digits. Which is terrible news for UK investors because you can't buy those those companies They're on the pri- UK market. privately owned, family owned companies, continental yep. companies. And meanwhile, you've got the likes of Morrison's, Tesco and Sainsbury's struggling really. And, and it really is a sandwich effect, which was sort of symbolized over the Easter holiday when I was with my family and I spoke to a good family friend, a very sort of middle class affluent woman, uh, and I asked her where she shopped, and she said, oh, she shops at Aldi now. And she does all her shopping at Aldi, and what she can't find in Aldi, she goes to Waitrose. So you've got Aldi and Little on the one hand at the very bottom, and then you've got Waitrose and the likes of M&S Food at the top, squeezing, sandwiching the supermarkets. And Indeed. That's, that's what's happening. And, and that's all against a backdrop of deflation, lower prices, falling prices, and yeah, this sort of yeah. s- supermarket price war. So it's been pretty bad news for the supermarkets. So I've had an interesting week with the supermarkets. So we've just moved house, as I've probably told you a million times before. But so, so, <laughs> since I moved house, I've been all my shopping in Marks and Spencers. I mean, that's, you know, what has happened to me? What has happened to me? I, although they don't sell corn... Really? I had to. I had to go next door to Iceland to buy my corn. Well, M and S is quite traditional, and I'm yeah, not sure yeah. corn. Corn's a bit too hippie for them. Yeah, yeah. But good God, Iceland. You must be feeling pretty plush, John. M and S is not cheap for food. I, do, I don't think that's true. Buying a new car, buying a new house, moving up in the world. Oh, he's doing well. Oh, yeah. don't give me that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. I, actually, I don't think M and S is is actually that expensive. It's the same as Waitrose. The perception is that Waitrose is an expensive supermarket. That's not actually the case. And I think you mentioned this in the feature you've written, the excellent feature. Yes, thank you've you very much. This week um, is that actually in many respects, so so Waitrose w- funds some of its Waitrose, cheaper lines with, with some of its much more expensive. Yeah, stuff. Waitrose has a very clever, very clever business model in that it it has lovely stores, very helpful staff who mm. actually own part of the company as well. Always good. We like that. Yeah, we mm. do like that. Uh, and they have they've got they have this very clever combination of of expensive, sort of exclusive products on the one hand, mm. and a basics range, which is actually the same price as Sainsbury's and Tesco to some extent. And you get people pu- pushing their trolleys down the aisle, they're picking up the basic stuff, and then, oh, maybe they see some sort of fine Greek extra virgin olive oil that they buy for eight pounds for half a liter, and that subsidizes the cheaper products and it's a very clever um, very clever business strategy for Waitrose and and that's why they that's why they've been so successful do you think they'll get a little bit more I mean you know that now they've been overtaken by discounts do you think Waitrose will get a bit more aggressive yeah I think Waitrose will certainly expand and, and little Waitrose their, their convenience stores are certainly going to expand as well mm. I mean what um, what sort of uh, scope Waitrose has to cut prices and actually compete with the likes of Aldi and Lidl, I'm not too sure. It's a different game, though, isn't it's it? It's a completely different market thereafter. You know, they're not they're not looking at they're they're not looking at sort of mass bulk sort of selling of flogging products. Waitrose is all about the experience. Yeah, I've got to say, I, they, they've opened a little Waitrose up uh, next to Cannon Street Station, and I pop in there in the morning to get my croissant, and it's uh, it's it's so cheap. It's cheap. Yeah, it's not. It's Cheaper not as expensive as here. people think. Do you hear that canteen? <laughs> I hope you're listening. <laughs> There's even a line in that waitress for people picking up their morning coffee. It's a, yeah, indeed. Which indeed. is interesting, kind of almost mm. like a coffee shop. It's, it's extraordinary. And you can pay, pick up your purchase from John Lewis as well. There are other good. I, I, think <laughs> it, I think it is rather good. Um, but the, the, but, I mean, the, but okay, so the point I guess is where does this leave 
the uh, the supermarkets that we can invest in. Indeed. I mean, the point is that the supermarkets have had a pretty rubbish year, it's fair to say. The share price has just plummeted. And now, from sort of from January on, there, there has been sort of signs that the sector is recovering and that we might be in for a massive recovery play. Because the share price, yeah, the share price have picked up a bit. Tesco since, share uh, price is up 20% since the start of the year, so at least 20%. Dangerous well, Dave. Dangerous Dave? Drastic Dave. Drastic Dave, Dave, Dave Lewis. Dangerous Dave. <laughs> uh, drastic Dave. And my, they all have new... They all have new management teams, new plans, new strategies, cutting prices, mm. uh, cutting capex, cutting the dividend as well. Uh, yeah, so that's not so good because I mean this was always a sector that, that everybody likes for its income attraction. Exactly. What people liked about the supermarkets were that it, they they symbolise sort of a secure, steady bet. You know, the supermarkets won't go down. They'll Just keep like the banks. Along, Just like, like the, the banks. banks. Yeah. Meanwhile, you you benefit from this five percent yield. And now, I mean, who knows where those yields are going to be? No one really knows how far the dividends are going to be cut. And indeed, no one really knows what the margins are going to look like, where we, the we margins do, will settle. We do know that Morrison's dividend will be not less than five pence a share. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, That's about it. Yeah. And so the, I suppose the, 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 the big conclusion we came to was that Yes, there are potentially green shoots here and there could be a recovery, but it is still very early days and that you still must tread with caution here. Because Tesco, for instance, these accounting discrepancies that they had a few months ago, it might not be the end there. So, if, And if that comes back to bite Tesco, then we could see sort of a wobble in the share price. And as I said before, yes, sales are improving, volumes maybe are improving, but one quarter really of, of less bad or one quarter of an improved decline in sales doesn't necessarily say that, oh, this is a trend that will mm. continue. I mean, it could have just been an anomaly. I mean, there's a lot of talk with deflation uh, generally, but but in, in terms of food price infl- inflation. I think they were down 2% very, at the last count. Even more than that, I think. It was I think it was close to 3 or 4 even. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. It is. It is extraordinary. And I've noticed my weekly shop has gone down. I haven't noticed mine has, but then I've just moved to shopping at Marks as best. Well, so that's maybe, probably why. Maybe, maybe that's it. Um, so, you know, in light of all of this, mm-hmm. in light of the, 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 the food price inflation we're seeing, the rising competition from discounters, and, and also not disca- non-discounters who are you know, the, the higher end, who are incredibly popular amongst the, the more affluent um, sections mm. of society. You know, where does this leave the middle ground what are our views on Sainsbury's, Tesco, Morrison? I mean, you know, should we be buying these shares in, in, in anticipation of further recovery? I wouldn't buy the shares at this point any in time. Of any of them. Uh, we, I think we have all three on a hold, actually. Uh, t- until fairly recently, we had Tesco and uh, Morrison's on a sell. Yep. We moved those to hold. We've had Sainsbury's on a hold, pretty much. Uh, in terms of the individual supermarkets... Sainsbury's, we like. It's well run. It's a profitable business. I think it'll continue to plod along. So we we have a whole recommendation on those shares. Uh, Tesco, you know, I like what Dave Lewis is doing. And I do think there's scope for... Tesco will recover. Tesco is a massive company and it will recover. And the supermarkets aren't going away. They are here to stay. You talk about Tesco in terms of being perhaps a bit bloated in terms of its globally. I mean, Tesco was becoming a massive It was becoming way too big. It's going to retrench. Well, it has over the past couple of years actually retrenched. It's sold off its US business. It's um, gone into a joint venture with its China business. It it is slowly slimming down. And it has scope to do that. It has scope to sell off a lot of its peripheral businesses. Remember, it owns 
um, uh, so Harrison Blink- Hall coffee shops, Blinkbox. Is it going to sell? Blinkbox, you sold Blinkbox. Is, it is, has sold I that. I think sold that already. Tool Talk, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dunhumby, they were thinking of selling as That's well. That's the customer data business yep. that powers Clubcard. Yeah. So that, would, that would be... Valuable data. Valuable, but isn't that what's helped them become so strong in the first place? It has. Mm. And it can sell off giraffe as well. It owns giraffe restaurants. It hasn't owned that for very long. No. No, not that long. Mm. Anyway, the, the point is there is scope for Tesco to slim down. Okay. And there is scope for Dave Lewis to cut prices and uh, improve the store experience and basically get shoppers to come back and do their, their weekly shop there. Because the prices are good, again, Tesco will perceive to be good value. And the shopping experience is, might be slightly nicer than it might be at a, a place like Aldi and Lidl. I still think it's got a long way to go on that It's score. got a long way to go, but it will recover. Yeah. It will recover. All right, Mor- Morrison. Morrison's, however... We have Morrison's on a hold. Generous, I would say. We're still not completely convinced about the Morrison story. Arguably, Morrison's is the most susceptible to Aldi and Little because the sort of demographic that tends to go to Morrison's is, is less affluent, perhaps, than Sainsbury's or even Tesco. Uh, and, you know, Morrison's has just gotten everything wrong, everything wrong that it could. It's been late to online, it's been late to convenience. Um, the former chief executive, Dalton Phillips, stepped down. And when I spoke to the chairman uh, a few weeks ago, he gave the distinct impression that basically the new chief executive and himself had been handed a mess without so much saying so. So I think I think there are bad times to come for Morrison's and I think it will be an uphill battle. Yeah. Whether or not yeah. it'll disappear. Well, it's gonna, I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's going to be shutting a lot of the, the convenience stores that it's only just open. Exactly. It's going to be shutting them and it's going to be reassessing the whole convenience store rollout and, and where they're going to put convenience, whether or not they should you know, be opening convenience stores. The fact that they have to reassess this convenience offer just months after they've started rolling or maybe a year after they started rolling stores out is pretty shocking. I, and I it, just, it, it suggests that Dalton Phillips had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, but he wasn't actually going out and choosing the sites. You know, he wasn't actually going out and choosing the sites. No, but upon he was which in charge. He was in charge. But, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple over near me. They are, um, they're not doing too well. For, for, visually not doing too well. No. Um, no and, and, and they don't appear to have actually been needed by the, by the community that they're servicing either. We talked, Steve and I talked about this a couple of weeks back, but anyway, yeah, Morrison's... We, we, we kind of d- agreed then that we would have have had enough Morrison kicking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Morrison's but, um, still a mess. Yeah. Sainsbury's yeah. stable, Tesco the potential recovery play. But exercise caution here. Okay, but what about Marks and Spencer? Because they've been flying this week. They have, yeah. Mar- M&S has been doing surprisingly well, actually. I mean, not not hugely well. It's been, it, the, there is a slight improvement in general merchandise yeah, sales. Yeah, but, but that's after a long period of, of, of um, regular declines. I think it was something like 16 quarters of, of life-for-like declines. So that is that is a good... You change, a, a you've, good changed, you've changed your view. I changed them to a hold, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow, I mean, that's... That's big, I know, I know that's big you, news. I know you don't like M&S. Um, well, neither of us do. <laughs> John. <laughs> I, we no, I've I, I, I got to say I'm a convert to the food. It's, it, I love it. Well, I, I have to disagree with you there. All I right. think it's overpriced for what it is. But, uh, the, I mean, the food, actually, interestingly, the, the, the food uh, division held up reasonably well, but it, it didn't grow as fast as it has been growing previously at M&S. Oh. So that that was an interesting piece of information. Well, may, maybe I'm a you know a, a contrary indicator. 
But, uh, I'm liking it. Oh, anyway, thank you, Judy. I think, Enough of uh, these grocers, John. What else is in the magazine? What else is in the magazine? Uh, there's lots in the magazine this week. We have updated, um, Chris Dillow has updated the uh, No Thoughts portfolios, mm-hmm. um, which are basically uh, mechanical portfolios that we've run for a very long time. And it's Momentum that's delivering there again. Momentum is a strategy that is just extraordinary, really. Interesting uh, new spotlight this week was Alex Newman's taking a look at uh, Shorts, shorts. short positions uh, through the institutions. Like well worth a look. Like his headline. Mm-hmm. Like his headline. Big shortlist. Um, yeah, who's who's getting who's getting uh, the the brunt of that? Green King, I noticed, was the uh, one of the most shorted companies in the UK. Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's it's just to do general trends as well. But I mean, it, it, he looks at the sectors here too. So I mean, it's it's really worth uh, worth. I think that's funny because you know we all know that I mean a, a rising proportion of UK discretionary expenditure is going on easing out and such like. Um, so yeah, Green King. He does mention Ashmore as well. Emerging well, markets. Yeah, obvious sort of pay there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we've also got uh, John Barron. John Barron's latest investment trust portfolio. John Barron is uh, betting big on Europe. Um, lots of stuff in the personal finance section. I don't know if there is a, a personal finance podcast this week because uh, Moira's on holiday, but we've got a, a great um, piece on uh, currency hedging, which is very important if you want to tap into the returns on offer in countries like Japan or regions like Europe, where despite the fact that, that, that stock markets are doing well, your returns will be wiped out by the currency weakness there. And uh, there's lots of ways to get around that by hedging. All the usual stuff, all the usual tips, not so many results this week. And all the usual wonderful uh, columnists, Simon, Chris. And on that note, I will bid you farewell and uh, see you again next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.